listening to the Arts Accelerator podcast. Arts Accelerator is a nonprofit dedicated to helping emerging artists accelerate their careers. Hi, my name is Dana Della Camera. I'm the director of the Arts Accelerator, and I am here with Franco Barbati, who is on our board of directors as an advisor. And um, Franco is going to be sharing some of his experience as a filmmaker in New York and LA, and also about uh, why we decided to start this podcast and the intention of hopefully providing some helpful information that helps to accelerate the careers of filmmakers in South Florida. Um, so let's dive right in. This is my conversation with Franco on breaking into the film industry. Episode three of a three-part series on making movies called Quick, Cheap, Good, Pick Three. All right, Franco. So um, one of the intentions that we had with the Arts Accelerator is is to explain quick, cheap, and good um, filmmaking as that's kind of what the industry wants, especially these days, because there's profit margins and everything else going on, and that's something that the Arts Accelerator focuses on. So, um, you know, what is your take on that? Well, I mean, when I was coming up, the mantra was quick, cheap, good, pick two. Yeah. Right? You'd hear that, that all the time. time. When I moved from L.A. to New York and I wanted to jumpstart my short-form career, I wanted to get into commercials and, and, uh, and music videos, I noticed that Quick, Cheap, Good, Pick 2 was really holding me back, right? Because I, I wasn't experienced enough or established enough, really. I had the experience, but I wasn't established enough that I could command a budget. And uh, I, because you don't have the budget, you know, if you're going to pick two, right, you have to take a long time or make something that's not so good. And when you showed your reel to people, they just wanted to see a good reel, right? They didn't care how long it took, right? And, and they didn't care how much it cost. And so I realized, wow, if you really want to get an advantage and you want to get a leg up in your career, you need to be able to quick, cheap, good, pick three. You need to be able to do all three. And so hopefully today we can, you know, cover some of the strategies that I developed over over the years, I'd love to share them with people uh, so to help filmmakers who want to accelerate their careers now. Let's change directions a little bit and let's talk about breaking into the industry. How can outsiders break into the film industry? Oh, well, I don't know that I would be a great person. In fact, I don't know that anybody is a great person to give somebody advice about how to break in because I think everyone's path is unique. But I can share some of the strategies that I used, mm-hmm. right, to help me, and um, and maybe that will be useful for some people. Uh, one thing that I did, so I have I had some credits. I, I worked out in LA for a while, and I was one of the editors on a film that won an Oscar. And during that process, uh, something I wrote got picked up by a, a television channel, right, a cable channel, right. Um, and that project, they paired me with uh, a writer. So I was in a, in a writing group, the two of us, a writing partnership with a writer who had uh, won five primetime Emmy. So there was, there was a certain amount of association that started happening very quickly when I got to L.A. that helped me make a lot of connections. Um, but 
at the end of the day, when I moved to New York, I, I moved back to New York because I liked, I liked the New York vibe better. Um, loved LA, but New York is special. And at least it was, you know, at the time. New York is very dynamic. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't speak about it today. But, uh, but yeah, so when I got back to New York, I really wanted to make an impact, but I didn't have the kind of network that I had developed in LA. And so I realized, well, I have to get noticed somehow with my work. And so I noticed that the, the main industry at the time was TV commercials and music videos. You could actually make a lot of money, you know, make a living, right, doing that, make a sustainable living in New York City as a director. So I started looking at the, fe the local film festivals any, and anything in and around driving distance from New York. And I tried to get my hands on the winning films. So all the films that had won. And I started identifying, okay, this festival tends to reward this kind of movie. That festival tends to reward that kind of movie. And I made a little list. And then I said, okay, which one of these types of movies am I most suited to make, given the resources that I have and, and whatnot? Because, you know, when you're doing shorts, you're, you're funding them yourself, right? And so I made, I made some choices. And those were the festivals that I submitted to. And I made some sample projects and I submitted them and sure enough, I won, <laughs> right? Because you, you kind of know yeah. what, the, what the demand is. Yeah. So you look at the market demand and there's also a demand culturally, like each festival rewards a certain kind of movie. And so if a festival was doing like, you know, a, a genre that I wasn't particularly enamored of or I didn't feel it was a good fit for my sensibilities, I'd, you know, avoid that. But if there was one that did, a, you know, something that, a genre that, that fit, then, then you know that that's easier because you're already predisposed mm -hmm. to that thing. And it's just you look at the budget. You know, some some festivals really reward high production value, right? Some festivals really reward you know rich imagery, in addition to the storytelling. So just look for those things, make a checklist, and you know it helps if you know how to do that. <laughs> if, if you're if you have the technical chops, right, and the creative chops, and you, I think when you have that you very quickly get a volunteer army of very talented people around you because they recognize each other, mm -hmm. right? And you just sort of find your people. And that's kind of how, how I did it. And shortly after that, I didn't even have to, I don't even think I had to uh, go through the whole process. I think as soon as I finished the film, I started getting calls from some people I knew in a production company who had seen it. And I don't think it, even, it had even gotten to the festival yet. And I started getting paid work. So it was, it was that, it's that simple, or it was that simple at that time. But when I asked around, I don't think I've ever met somebody who did the same thing, mm -hmm. right? So it seems to be like an unusual approach. It's, it's possible that a lot of people did what I did, but I just never spoke to them. Mm -hmm. But I, I did find it interesting that I have yet to meet somebody who, oh, I did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would recommend, you know, looking at the problem in front of you and trying to find a solution that'll get you to the goal and then apply your creativity to that. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, cool. And then you had said something about um, how to build your audience. Oh, well, I mean, I think w where we are today in, in terms of content creation, right, there's, so what, in a sense, the only thing that's ever really been valuable is an audience. Right? If, you have, if you have an army of people who will pay money 
for whatever you produce, then the people whose job is it to increase shareholder value, which is all the executives, right? They're going to be pounding on your door, right? Um, so used to be that movie stars and famous directors had that power before the internet. And once the internet became as big as it is, the, there's a lot of other avenues that opened up. So I think it's very important. If, that's why I said, you know, the way you break in today would be very different from the way anybody else who broke in would tell you, mm -hmm. right? Because the opportunities are different. If, you're, if, you, if you have the capacity to create an audience in any form, then that is something you can leverage. And so it might come in as a partnership. If you're an influencer with 20,000 followers who buy things, you know, if you put a mascara and they buy the mascara, that's something, right? And you may be able to leverage that if you want to be working in films. Uh, if you're, and then you become part of the package. You're now name casting, right? You're no longer the, the casting that, that is not uh, an asset, mm -hmm. right? It, the, you, you are an asset. When I say asset, I don't mean that the, the, the unknown actor is not very valuable. What I mean is, from a producer's point of view, you're looking at how many assets can I package to decrease risk, mm -hmm. right? So you're now an asset rather than a potential cost, mm -hmm. right? And yeah, so today you can also, you know, you have YouTube, you have all these channels, you have Twitter. And so it's, it's important to sort of always try to find that directly. If you can go through that without going through gatekeepers, right? It's a longer process. It takes years for most people to develop a following. But the trade-off is that you own, you own your brand. Yeah, that's what a lot of actors are doing right now. And even non-actors, just people who want to get a brand. And even very successful people have talked about how difficult it is because sometimes they create like the most incredible piece of content or what they think is mm -hmm. <laughs> the most incredible piece of content. And then they get like the least views and then right. some content that they just threw up that they were like, no, oh, whatever, got like the most views. And it's like they get just they even get disappointed and frustrated at that level. Um, you know, I know people that have put in six hours a day on TikTok making videos and you know, this person has over four th or four million followers right now. So it's worked for her. And now, like, Hollywood is, you know, kind of knocking on her door because she here she is. She has an asset. She has a following. She has people that will probably pay to see her, her film. And the reason why she started TikTok and doing these videos, um, these little, like, short skits, is because she wasn't getting the work that she wanted. Mm -hmm. So that is definitely, it does take time. She's been at this for at least two or three years now. And like, I, went, I mean, six hours a day for two or three years. So it'll, it'll pay off, but it's, you have to be consistent and you have to, you know, have a high production quality, but not always, not always. That's the thing with social media. If it's funny, if it's a dance, if it's, you know, something people relate to, you can get away with it, which I think even opens a further door. But when you do get some of that traction, I do think it's important to start inputting that production quality. Well, so production quality is, um, it's a measure, right? You can think of it like a measure. So that's one way to look at it. So if, if you think about what the goal is, if you made a movie and the production quality was poor 
an audience are coming in expecting to see good CGI, there's you know good visual effects, they'd be disappointed if the production quality was poor. And so that is something that you might have to make sure is 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 at the right quality for a film. But with every new form of media, what's valuable changes. So for like a YouTube video, it might just be how many likes it gets or how many views it gets. And at that point, production value and views are kind of orthogonal. They're not necessarily related anymore. Right? Yeah, I was yeah. listening to something about that, that the views are more important than the likes. Mm -hmm. So, and I didn't know that, but that was really interesting. So that's how like they're judging videos yeah. is by the views. Yeah. And we don't necessarily, I guess on the background, you can look at the analytics, but I, I didn't realize because, you know, the views are, people have seen it. So if something's getting a lot of views and traction, they tend to, like in the algorithms, they tend to push that content. Interestingly yeah. enough. <clears throat> well, if you're, if you're YouTube, you make money by showing ads and you make money by people clicking on those ads. So the more people watch a video, that's ad inventory that's being created, mm -hmm. right? That's space that YouTube can sell an ad against, mm -hmm. right? And interestingly enough, the kind of people that your content attracts are, have different value. So if a person, if you can attract like people in their 40s, right, they're probably some of the most valuable. There's also people in their you know, late teens, early 20s. They're also very valuable. They consume a lot. Different, different kinds of consumption, right? Mm -hmm. A person in their early 20s is buying, you know, more uh, signaling, signaling things like uh, designer shoes, designer clothes, things like that. People in their 40s, they tend to be spending a lot of money because they have families and houses that they're building out. And so there are different phases of their lives. But yeah, if you, if you have the ability to create some form of content, insurance, for example, like a, a person who buys insurance is worth a lot because the amount of money an insurance company is going to make off acquiring that customer is worth a lot. And so those ads get bid up naturally. Yeah, so that's, it's an interesting thing if you, if you think about it. A person who creates a lot of ad inventory for YouTube and then that ad inventory, ad inventory is targeted towards a very lucrative demographic, YouTube is naturally going <laughs> to amplify that because they make more money. Mm -hmm. So they're going to amplify those videos. Yeah, to me that was just like hope, hopeful in a way, because if you know if you look at it that way, it kind of takes other pressure off, off of like getting the lights and the comments and stuff like that. Although that is important. You also mentioned another way, which was to buy your way in to get um, yeah. into the industry, but that that is actually more risky. So, talk to me. What do you mean about buying your way in and the risk associated with that approach? Well, there's financial risk, right? You're spending a lot of money, and it might not work out. And especially, it, one of the interesting things is it's especially risky financially. Let me, let me give you two examples. So one is a person who has worked very hard, and they've been very prolific. So this person's going to show up to a project, and they're going to show up ready to continue behaving the way they've been behaving probably for the last 10 years. They've probably sacrificed and given up a lot to be there, right? That person is probably going to, A, recognize other people who do that, right, very, very quickly. And that person will also have a very strong desire to succeed, not necessarily 
if they see an opportunity, they will they will probably be more flexible in taking advantage of it, right? Compare that to because that's what has gotten them to where they are from ten years ago, right? The opportunities that come your way aren't the opportunities you you anticipate, mm -hmm. right? Very rarely. So compare that to another person. They've they've got a lot of money, right? There's there's not necessarily the gauntlet that they've gone through. They might have inherited the money. They might have a rich uncle. They might have, you know, they might just make money, right? And they have a hundred thousand dollars sitting around, and they've always wanted to be in the movie business, right? It's just a different, a different way in, mm -hmm. right? Very few people, I would think, who have the money to make a movie would deploy it to do that, unless they're looking for a loss, you know, tax deduction or something, because movies are so financially risky. One of the other things to consider is that when you have a, when you look at the history of successful artists, there's very few Vermeers, right? There's very few masters who created just a few masterpieces and almost everything they did was a masterpiece. And I'm not sure that it's worth trying to be Vermeer. I don't think Vermeer was trying to be Vermeer. I think Vermeer was just doing his thing. But if you look at the vast majority of successful artists, one of the things that correlates with that is that they were prolific. They made a lot of things. Uh, Steven Spielberg, Alfred Hitchcock, these guys, by the time they got on in their careers, they had stacks of reels taller than them. Martin Scorsese made a lot of movies. You don't you don't think about it so much because it's it's not so obvious because they have uh, they have a few tentpole films that everyone remembers. But if you just look at the number, it actually adds up quite a bit. So, so I would say, keep working, focus on getting better over time, rather than making a masterpiece that everyone you know that you imagine that people are going to think you're a genius for it's very unlikely <laughs> that that the first thing and the first 10 things you do you know will 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 develop your craft sufficiently to get you noticed so keep keep at it you know and, and create a working system that allows you to to keep developing yourself and keep developing your network which brings me to the next thing that i recommend is uh your network is very probably one of the most important things you can do uh, aside from just being incredibly dedicated being kind of a workaholic right is to surround yourself with people like that surround yourself with other artists who are prolific if you're sitting around and you're having drinks with your friends four or five days in a row talking about a project you want to do and you haven't already started doing something you might want to check that because in the time it takes to, to, to organize to meet up with your friends and grab some drinks you can meet up with your friends and shoot something. You could something. have been shooting a yeah. film. <laughs> right? yeah. You I could mean, have been shooting you know. something. So, yeah. So I would say that's the attitude you want to be looking for. And you always want to try to be, even just because you're with your friends doesn't mean you're slacking off in terms of the quality. So, Franco, what advice would you give to anyone who is, uh, you know, wanting to learn or develop themselves in the craft of screenwriting or filmmaking? I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting question because filmmaking has never been more accessible. The cost of making a film has never been lower. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's never been more platforms, distribution platforms available for people to get their vision out there to people. So the first thing I would say, you know, as we discussed earlier, the understand what you want and how you want to approach your career but whatever you do start making things if you uh, and and try to do as many things as you can given the resources you have so for example rather than make a short film for $2,500 make five short films for $500 each right you'll learn so much more mm 
and mm-hmm. if you if you get audience reactions to what you do, that's so valuable, right? Whether it's through uh, putting it on YouTube and getting a sense of like how many people watched it or which one of your films gets more, doing more, getting more out there is just a better way to get more feedback. Mm-hmm. And, and that feedback loop is really where the, the development happens. So I would say definitely make movies. Uh, surround yourself with like-minded workaholics who take what you do very seriously. Uh, if you're hanging out with your friends and this is the third time you've hung out and you're having drinks and you're talking about something you want to do, you probably want to consider, like, why haven't we already done something? Because it really isn't that hard <laughs> to get a phone, you know, get some good quality microphones and write out some stuff and you can put it up and start building a body of work, right? The first version of everything is not very good. So perfect is the opposite of good in this case. It's much more important for... for for you to have a to improve rapidly than it is for you to be good right because people learn people grow so that's the first thing uh, the second thing I would say is read books read books uh, about and by successful filmmakers uh, specifically there's three that made a real impact on me uh, one is Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez that book is great for the independent filmmaker the world has changed a lot but he comes to it with that same can-do attitude of like, just do it yourself, right? At the end of the day, if you're very successful, you're not going to be doing any of that stuff yourself. You're going to have people doing it with you. But the fact that you took the time to learn will... Yeah, and you took initiative and you creative problem solving, all of that comes into play. Yeah, it also made him very wealthy because he was able to develop skills that normally they would hire out for, and he would just put that in the budget and pay himself. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. so Steven Soderbergh did that too, you know, very successful filmmakers that, um, you know, one more commercial and one more art, but they both shot their own films, for example, um, which is a big load. I'm a cinematographer as well, and it's a big load. I try to use a cinematographer, even though though I can, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? (laughs) So I, I try to, you know, find the best talent that I could. And I was very fortunate to work with some extremely talented people. So I would say read books. A Rebel Without a Crew is a great one. Another one that I would recommend is Making Movies by Sidney Lumet, where he describes the whole movie-making process. Excellent book from an excellent director. Uh, the one thing I would say is from that book is they had the luxury of two weeks of, uh, of rehearsals. And I don't think that that's necessary these days, uh, necessarily possible or necessary. Um, what I found instead is uh, using, again, having a good sense of the context, being able to physicalize uh, as you block, right? You can you can probably do things on set simultaneously a lot more than you used to be able to because the equipment's lighter and everything is uh, is more dynamic these days. And the budgets, right? It's expensive to pay actors for two weeks, so. So I think it's doable, but the book is excellent. It's, it's like an x-ray of what one of the best directors of the 20th century was, was doing from beginning to end. Uh, another one that I would say is the editing book by David Mamet, the playwright. And the big takeaway that I got from that was that the edit takes place between the cuts. It's, it's, the story takes place between the cuts. So the story is not what's in the shot. It's the difference between what's in this shot and in the next shot. And once you internalize that, it changes the way you think about storytelling. Yeah, yeah, and if, if you liked some of the frameworks, you know, that you heard today, if you, um, 
if you if you'd like to get some practice with them or think you'd be interested in, in learning how they apply to things like writing uh, or how to see them in action you know on a real set to produce like a finished film you might want to consider taking the master classes normally I'll teach one one about a year right we do one for writing and one for directing or filmmaking in general but this year we're doing it a little differently. Uh, this year we have a new grant. We have a new, new support from the uh, Broward County Cultural Division. Mm -hmm. And we're doing a, a, a two-weekend uh, film academy. So the first weekend we're doing the writing master class. And in the second weekend we're doing the filmmaking master class. So if you're interested in getting the whole experience, we're doing that for the first time. Um, again, lots of thanks to the Broward Culture Division for, for helping us with this, making this possible. But in, in, the, in the first weekend, you'll learn how to write uh, a short screenplay, and you'll come in with nothing or a rough idea, and you'll come out with a finished script. Uh, I was very happy with the, the ones we've done in the past. Uh, I was surprised. It was one of the first things that I've done or seen where everyone rated it five out of five stars. So that we were very happy with that. And a lot of people felt, uh, I got the impression a lot of people felt very empowered by their, uh, by their experience. Um, in fact, uh, I think for a lot of people, it was very intense. So a lot of people walk in, they don't realize that you're going to be rewriting your concept 30 times between now and the end of the weekend. But by the end, you have a finished script. And it's very empowering to see, like, oh, this is what works. This is actually the process. Right, and then they, they can see their progress yes. right away, immediately. Yeah. Sounds mm -hmm. pretty awesome. Um, and then... We, we have a reading with actors, so the actors read the, the script so people can hear their work out loud. And they have something, they have something to show, like, this is my work. Um, we had people who had degrees in playwriting and said, wow, I learned more here in this weekend than I did in four years of, you know, playwriting classes. I, I had a, and getting my degree, I had another uh, attendee who was a produced, you know, an award-winning writer, and she's like, wow, I, it, it, it all clicked for me, you know, during this class. Because there's simple frameworks, you know, underneath this stuff. So, we teach, you know, if you're interested in that, the, the, writing, the writing portion is, uh, you know, might be worth checking out. And then the next weekend, we're actually going to shoot a short film uh, over the weekend from beginning to end. And that's the filmmaking masterclass. And, and over that is more about directing, and it's more about taking a, a written script and turning it into uh, physical actions and a visual story and then executing on it on, uh, on the spot. And the, the main goal of that is to have the attendees walk away with a finished film that they made. Like, this is something, this is my reel. I was, I was a contributor to this, uh, to this project. And again, one of the most exhilarating parts of this is watching the confidence level, right, of people just shoot through the roof uh, when, when they learn to direct, you know, in a couple of minutes. And they realize, wow, for the first time in my life, I can, many times I can, I can get an actor to actually get the performance I want. That's just so empowering. So, yeah, if, if, if you're interested, the we're doing both, you know, one weekend after another, so a lot of people are going to go through it. And I recommend going through both so you get the full, you know, the full experience. Yeah, so that, that's what we're doing. We're doing it sometime later this year. And uh, if you're interested in, in learning more about that, uh, maybe sign up for our newsletter. Maybe, Dana, how can they get in touch with us? Sure, they can get in touch with us through the Arts Accelerator uh, .org website for and sign up for the newsletter by simply adding their email address and then also either online with Facebook or Instagram and it's arts accelerator or arts underscore accelerator and so 
you know, we hope that these tips uh, have been helpful and beneficial for you and that you apply them into your next film project and let us know uh, how they work out for you. And um, that's it. Thank you for listening to the Arts Accelerator podcast where we are giving tips and information to help you accelerate your career in film. And before we go, I want to also... I want to put out there, if there's anything you guys want to know about, if there's any topics or any people that you'd want on the podcast, feel free to let us know. So we actually are having classes. We have screenwriting and filmmaking master classes coming up very, very soon. And so if you're interested in developing your skills in either uh, filmmaking or screenwriting, we invite you to apply and, you know, participate and enjoy and develop and continue or if you're already a film filmmaker and writer you know continue to refine and develop your craft you're listening to the arts accelerator podcast arts accelerator is a nonprofit dedicated to helping emerging artists accelerate their careers 